good morning to you. Uh, Russ reminded us, as the whole nation has been, of the death of George H.W. Bush. And we have seen, <clears throat> if you allow me to tell a story, uh, stories not only of his uh, courage and humility, but also his sense of humor. I thought I'd share with you a story about his sense of humor that you will not have heard. A very good friend of mine is Dr. Barry Black, who's the chaplain of the Senate. And Dr. Black told me of how he was quivering one morning when he was invited to come to the Oval Office to, uh, for a courtesy call with Bush 43. After he'd said yes, he found out that his father, Bush 41, was going to be there as well. He said, it's enough to go to meet uh, your former commander-in-chief. Uh, uh, he was an admiral in the Navy and so uh, knew Bush 41 in that regard. And now he's going to meet the present commander-in-chief. So he's thinking, what am I going to discuss with two presidents? And uh, he's thinking of things to say about his wife or his children and... Uh, Bush 41 says, uh, Chaplain Black, would you like a cup of coffee or tea? And he says, no, Mr. President. And then Bush, Bush 43 says, well, can we give you a soft drink? Uh, no, Mr. President. And then Bush 41 says, well, can I give you a drink of water? And he says, now I've refused two presidents here. I've got to say something. So he says uh, to Bush 41, uh, yes, sir, I would like a glass of water. And Bush 41 taps 43 on the shoulder, he says, George, go get him a glass of water. <laughs> and he said, Bush 43 said, yes, Dad. And goes, presses the bu buzzer, and the steward comes in, and, and he said, wow, even when you're the commander of the largest nation in the world, there's still someone that tells you what to do. I've, I've remembered uh, that story often about... Uh, Bush 41 and his sense of humor as long as well as all the other things we know about him. About 45 years ago, Jesus Christ called me to himself. And one of the things that I have enjoyed from my early Christian experience is knowing the Psalms. And I attended a church for quite a number of years that sang the Psalms. And so part of the privilege of my Christian experience has been committing a number of them uh, to memory. And at some point in what I say today, I'm going to, I may lapse uh, knowingly or unknowingly into quoting from the psalm uh, from the metrical version. So it may be a, a different thing that you're seeing in your Bible. They're all very faithful translations of the Hebrew. But the psalms have been a great joy and a love to me in my Christian life. And so often in times of triumph, times of trial, I will think of a psalm and repeat it back or sing it uh, in praise to God. And my soul will be refreshed again. Well, I'm glad to share this messianic Psalm 22 with you this morning. Please hear the word of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, 
enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are the one who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim the righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. I'm hearing those words in the metrical version 
A seed shall rise to serve his will, and to the age it shall be told. The Lord has done these things, and he has done it. He has done it alone. Let's pray to the one who has done all good things and done it alone. Dear God, we thank you for your goodness. Inhabit our study and make us to be faithful doers of the word as well. In the name of Christ our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. All of history points to the work and person of Jesus Christ, our only Redeemer, the King of creation. The Holy Scriptures rest our sin-cursed eyes and desires from the woeful abyss of rebellion and despair. And they transfix our eyes to see Jesus, to adore Jesus, as he is revealed in the prophecies of the Old Testament, as we rejoice in his incarnation, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, sitting at the Father and his eternal reign as the King of glory. Psalms 22, 23, and 24 form a wonderful holy triplet, and I enjoin you to read them together sometime and see the theme in them. Psalm 22 is the song of the dying shepherd crying out to the Father from the cross. Psalm 23, the psalm of the risen shepherd guiding his sheep through life's darkest wilderness and difficulties. Psalm 24 is the song of the ascended shepherd who rewards the faithful with royal majesty. The opening verses of this messianic psalm that we look at this morning, this bit of divinely inspired poetry, poignantly reminds us of Jesus' passion on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. We're not going to take time to go through each of the verses of the psalm. I wanted to bring out the highlights to you that you have, uh, helpfully, I trust, uh, in your outline. But this psalm, speaking prophetically of Jesus, and Jesus having in mind on the cross the words that he had written by the Holy Spirit, understands carefully exactly what he was to say on the cross. It was not just the agony of the God-man in issuing forth all the difficulty of bearing our sins. Jesus, totally in control of everything in every moment, in every age, of every creature, is totally in control of himself at that moment as well. And he has in mind that which he said all the way back through the Holy Spirit to David, that I am going to say this in that sorrowful moment. And we see those same words. Well, let me push on a little further to verses 12 and 18. 
Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a lion. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. You see here how Jesus is looking at the mob, the Roman centurions, his mother and dearest ones, the, the bewildered, dejected disciples, indeed, the whole of sinful humanity. Jesus is picturing what it is for the men and women of the earth in every age to be those who circled him as it were. Imagine that you and I, friends, are there before Jesus on the cross. Not physically, but represented certainly. We are part of that mass of humanity who as surely as we had hammer and nail, nailed him to that cross. When he speaks of the dogs, he's speaking in a pejorative sense, as so often is in scripture, of those who are outside of the covenant, who are outside of God, who don't love him, those who are in rebellion. That's you and me. That's who we naturally are, apart from the salvation of Jesus Christ. We're those Bulls of Bashan, a place that was notorious for rebellion and idolatry. That's you and me. I want to read this psalm and think of this as those people. Those people are us. Jesus, thinking of the whole mass of humanity arrayed against him, is remembering this prophecy given by his utterance and will, knowing before he came into the world that this is what his life was going to be. Jesus' life inexorably was a walk to the cross. And when the scripture says he set his face as one set to Jerusalem, it is, as you can imagine, Jesus from all eternity, as the scripture says, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Purposing in concert with his Father and the Holy Spirit to come to make his blessings known. As the hymn says, far as the curse is found. Purposing with you and me and each of his people in every age. Our names, our persons, our parents and who we came from. Each one of us here who loves him is purposely in his mind from all eternity with a notion that I must go to that sorrowful death. I must face those dogs. I must face this difficult thing that is so hard to go to. But he has in mind you and me, and he sets his face as a flint and says, I will go to Jerusalem. I will face that even though it's so bad, the psalmist says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. This is the agony of the suffering servant, the suffering savior, the suffering psalmist. The dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. 
I can count all my bones. This is the agony of the master on the cross. And they did stare and gloat at Jesus on the cross, didn't they? And even the division of his garments. All of this, David speaking prophetically of his great-great-great-great-grandson. All these things are graphically represented in Jesus' most vulnerable and sacrificial hours. His physical, mental, and spiritual anguish are played out prophetically even to the division of his garments. But in verses 19 through 24, the confidence of the God-man and his father is not shaken. And I use that word deliberately. Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully human, is one who says, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. I think of the metrical version says, he has not turned his face away from anyone who in trouble great. When any cried to him in grief, he heard his prayer and he sent relief. This is the ministry of Jesus. The words that he brings to his own mind as the suffering Savior. He knows that the Lord will not forsake him. He is one afflicted because he bore our sins. And he is reminded that in the midst of pain and despair, of anguish, what should be the response of God's faithful one? Well, to curse, that was the mistaken advice given to old man Job by those around him. You're in a bad place, Job. You've lost everything that was important to you. You've really made such a mess of your life. Just curse God and die. Get it over with. Jesus sets a pattern for us in what he learned in his own torment. When we're in difficulty, we cry to the Lord. The scripture says that tears come in the evening, but there's joy in the morning. What it means is not just that you have a bad night and you get up and you say, everything's great now, isn't it? No, the mourning, the difficulty, the pain, the agony of this life, what I call the sharp providences of God, those hard things that come to all of us. Don't just leave with a good night's sleep, do they? Some of you may have had a horrible night's sleep last night, and you've had a number of them. That just may be your life. Because after amen, you may have the same difficulty to go to 
at your workplace, or you may have the same pains, or the one that you love deeply may have those, or someone that you care for may have a life that is broken by sin of their choosing, or just the heartache of this world, or the temptation of the devil, and you don't have a notion that it's going to be better. Jesus says with sympathy and compassion, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to him and ask him to come to your aid. He says, oh, you my help, come quickly. Deliver me from the sword. Jesus, of course, is experiencing the physical torment along with the mental anguish. And what does he say will be his response? I'm going to praise you. I'm going to testify. You know, some churches set aside times in their worship called testimony time. Anybody ever been to church like that where the pastor would give time for people to say, what has God done for you? Tell about it. We ought to hear that. That's biblical worship. When God has done something good for us, we ought to want to share it. It ought to be the natural response that we say, let me tell you what God has done for me. This hasn't been of my doing, but the Lord came. The Lord came when no one else could help me. I want to tell you about what this God is, and sometimes we struggle with knowing what to say to a friend, to a neighbor, to a relative that we know is having difficulty, deep difficulty. And we wonder, well, what should I say? Sometimes all we have to do is say, in a difficult time, this is what God did for me. That's not the same as saying, I know how you feel, a very unhelpful thing. Because the difficulties of life touch us all in different ways. Some, a difficulty is just utterly shattering. For others, the same type of circumstance may be hard, but it won't have that effect. And we don't know how that may be being felt. What we do know, what is the constant, is that however bad it is, God is better. God is faithful. Jesus can teach us that from the cross. And the response is, if you love the Lord, when you see God's salvation, when you see his good things happen, praise him. When he says, all you offspring of Jacob, he's talking about God's covenant people in every age. Glorify him, stand in awe of him, you offspring of Israel. And then there's that wonderful, tender passage. The affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from those folks. He has heard when he cried to him. Certainly for some of you, you're saying, I've cried to the Lord. I didn't get that answer. And maybe the answer has not yet come. But if you are united to Jesus Christ, he has heard. And Jesus hears not as one who can just store it up and say, okay, that's, 
you know, the 10 trillionth, 999 billionth, 687th millionth prayer I've heard, he hears it with a personal compassion, with an eye toward who you are and what you need. And not only hears, but then he prays for you. Jesus is our high priest. And the scripture says he lives to make continual intercession. Jesus doesn't get tired of praying. He never stops praying. He never stops remembering our need. And he does it knowing that when he prays for us, mighty things are going to happen. Because all power in heaven and earth have been given to him. And when he prays to his father, he knows from the great treasury of all that he has done that is inexhaustible, those things will happen. Well, we wonder. We're confused. Our patience is tried. Our faith is tested sometimes. It seems to breaking when we say, Jesus, I've been asking. I've been praying. I've been telling you. You know what the concern is. My life is still a mess. I still have the same pains, the confusion, the difficulty. Jacked up life. Very non-theological term, but you know what I mean. A life that is more of a mess than a dog's breakfast. I am grateful that when I cry out with confusion, annoyance, anger, Jesus hears and he is compassionate and his Holy Spirit is already bringing his way to bring companionship and comfort. You know, if you've lost a spouse, I want to speak directly to you, or if you've lost a child. The pain of that may never leave you. The difficulty of seeing that chair in the living room, at the dining room, that will never be occupied by that person again. No one can tell you that it's going to be all right. It's not going to be all right. There are some aspects of brokenness that never get fixed in this world. It's the heartache of living in a broken world. And sometimes what we recognize is the companionship of the Holy Spirit walking through us in the brokenness, in the tears, in the difficulty, in the loneliness, is our blessedness in this life. There's the promise of the life to come, of the restoration, of the resurrection, the life everlasting. There are aspects of brokenness in this world that never get right. It's a hard thing to say, but an even harder thing to experience. But here is the knowledge we have that the one that we call to understands pain and suffering 
and comforts us with his holy embrace and says, I'm with you even to the end of the age. This is Jesus' turning point in this psalm. And let me suggest that it be ours as well in despair. It's when we say, come Lord, save me, help me, deliver me, rescue me, make the pain less intense, give me strength and faith to continue today and be the Lord of my tomorrow and what that will bring. I'll testify about it. And so, verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. I'll adore you for your deliverance, is what the psalmist says. I'll adore you for your care for me. I'll adore you because you love me. We should tell it to the congregation and call others to the same. This is why we have support groups those who meet together who have lost loved ones, those who meet together who have experienced the pain of divorce. We have groups who come together and people can say to some great measure, I do understand a great measure of what you're going through. There are commonalities in the loss of a loved one, in a divorce. And we come together for mutual support and we're doing just what this says. We're saying, God help me. Let me tell you how God can help you in your brokenness and the pain and the loneliness. He is there. He does hear. This is the God-centered, the Christ-centered life, friends. It's not always happy, but it is one lived in the very presence of God. Life in the tender presence of God is what the Christian has to testify to a broken, alien, lonely world that our living, our suffering, and our knowing God's powerful presence makes all the difference. And so we testify and praise as that metrical version of the psalm says, for he has not despised the poor. He has not scorned their wretched state. He has not turned away his face from anyone in trouble great. When any cried to him in grief, he heard his prayer and sent relief. For Jesus, the passion of the afflicted king has turned to a confession of need and a proclamation of deliverance. What is the response of the believer to God's entering into your life and telling you that he cares? Well, it's praise and worship, isn't it? In verse 25, there is a direct call to Jehovah, the God of Israel, more direct than the three imperatives in verse 22, which said, praise, glorify, adore. The Messiah did perform that. He performed his vows before the Lord, even in his passion. And he did it completely, perfectly, publicly. From you comes my praise in the great congregation, 
My vows I will perform before those who fear him. Verse 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your heart live forever. What he's saying is, if you have that confidence in who God is, you will live forever in the presence of that God whom you've called upon. He will be your God not only in this temporal existence, but in the life to come. Verse 26 deserves some very close attention. The afflicted, literally in Hebrew, the poor, are those whose rights are denied in a godless world. When the scripture speaks of the poor, it's not just speaking of those that don't have as much money. It is the word so often used that is speaking of those who need a defense. It's those we think of as the poor, the fatherless, the widow, those needing justice, all those whom the scriptures tell us to enter into their lives and to be a society, to be a people, to be a church that is seeking to provide help to all of those who don't have a defender. And when the scripture says, I'll pay my vows with those who fear, and they will be satisfied. Who, those who seek the Lord shall him adore. May your heart live forevermore. It is saying that, as in Psalm 94, when it says, God of refuge, O Jehovah, God of refuge, shine forth. He who formed ears, doesn't he hear? He who formed eyes, doesn't he see? All the thoughts of men the Lord sees and knows that they are but a breath. And then the psalmist says, rise up, O judge of nations. Rise up and shine forth. This is the task of the people of God. When we see the difficulty, the hurt, the anguish of those around us, we know that we represent a God who hears and sees and wants to bring justice and calls upon us to do the same. We will be a part of those who see those needing lack need. That is, we see those who have so many opportunities in which they can cry out for justice, and we are to be a part of that great concourse of God's people who preach truth and preach justice, who do truth and do justice as well. And now to the climax of this psalm, and it's really the climax of all of redemption history. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. And then going on in verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And all the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. Before him shall bow all those who go down to the dust. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. The joy of the incarnation is knowing the one who was incarnate, knowing the Messiah, and that he will save his people and conquer all his and our enemies. This psalm ends on the triumphant note that is the triumphant note of the gospel, of what Revelation speaks of, what all of history points toward. 
these final exultant verses prophesy the spread of the gospel, the glory of Christ's kingdom, and the rule of the king. Indeed, the whole earth shall be turned to God's son. All the earth, all the families, everyone shall bow before him. Kingship is Christ's alone. His rule is absolute. It's unchallenged. Posterity, that is, those yet unborn when this psalm was written, shall praise him. That's you and me, friends. And the generations yet to come, our proclamation shall be to the end of time that every grace, every glorious blessing, every valley that shall be exalted, every mountain and hill that shall be made low, every anti-godly foe that shall be defeated, and Satan who will be cast out and finally and eternally done with, and the joys of the new heaven and earth, we will say, this has been done by him alone. All of it. Every last measure of goodness, every measure of benefit in this life, in the life to come is due to Christ alone. We proclaim as the church, when people say, how are things going? We say, he has done it. This is done by Jesus Christ alone. And that's good news, isn't it? That's very good news. That's the best news. That's the only news to tell. And so my Christmas encouragement to you is tell it. Tell it all your days. Tell it to those to whom you have influence. If you know Jesus Christ as your king, you will tell that story for all eternity. This, the whole glory of the new heavens and earth and our salvation has been done by him alone. Glory to the lamb who was slain who comes to make his blessing known far as the curse is found. Hark the herald, the angels sing, glory, glory to the newborn king. Let us pray. Glory be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns as one God, blessed forever and ever, we will confess throughout all eternity that every good thing has been done by you, Christ alone. We thank you that you were born to raise the sons of earth. You were born to give us second birth. We bless you for that new birth. Christ, our only Redeemer. Amen.